I want to um, pick up where uh, I left off a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I just felt an urgency to go back to the second chapter of the book of Acts. And we talked about that early first century church and what, what it was involved with. And um, especially Acts chapter 2 uh, and, and 42 and parts of 43 or well actually down to 47. We didn't talk about that, but, uh, but that's, uh, it's all in the same context anyway. Uh, but, but we had talked about the church continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in in fellowship and the breaking in the breaking of bread and in prayers <clears throat> and um, uh, you know we talked about the doctrine we talked about fellowship we talked about personal evangelism you know through uh, you know the the breaking of bread and you know and and witnessing the gospel you know, to, to people. We've talked about people getting the Holy Ghost in the marketplaces uh, and then being baptized and then brought to uh, the local synagogue or local house, church, whatever the case was, uh, and being introduced to the rest of the body of Christ. And, and uh, uh, I, I want to pick up with this uh, because we... Um, now, we didn't we didn't talk about the idea of, of prayers uh, too much, and and I, I want to pick back up there and go for for just a little little bit this evening uh, because of the times that we're living, the the pressure that we're we're facing, you know, on against the church and uh, against our uh, Western culture. Uh, we need to talk about praying a little bit this evening and, uh, and try to, to get the mindset uh, of the early church again in, in this respect. And, um, and see what the church was doing and, and especially those who were uh, who were who were in uh, ministry, the apostles, uh, what their thoughts and their idea on prayer, you know, was. But it's it's a total total different. the The Middle Eastern concept of prayer is totally different than ours. And um, you know, we read in in Acts chapter three, you know, that Peter and John, you know, went to the temple to pray and it was at the hour of prayers what Luke says in, in Acts 3 uh, which helps us to understand that they had regularly scheduled times of prayer where they gathered in church just strictly to pray not, not to worship or, or you know public worship or like a worship service uh, they didn't come to, to sing they, they didn't come to hear a message. They simply came at specific times to pray. Now, 
This this did not uh, uh, preclude their their personal prayers. These were public prayers, what they considered to be public prayers, because they were play, praying in a public setting. But yet, they took time out of their day, you know, every day, to be, you know, at a place of prayer uh, when it was their custom to pray. And and as you know the. Uh, the the custom was and is even with the Muslims today. Uh, they're going to pray three times a day, doesn't matter what they're doing, uh, how busy they are. Uh, they are going to pray three times a day. Now, I understand they're praying to gods that you know don't hear and don't see and don't you know and and I would even contend. Uh, that these other, some of these other religions are, are, are praying actually to demons. Now, they, they don't know that. They don't understand that. But, uh, but you're, you're either praying to the true God or you're praying to false gods. Right. And, and when we see what's, what is happening in our world today and the preeminence that the first church placed on the activity of prayer, then what we're facing in, the, in, in our country right now, we're not going to be able to navigate these times if we are not people of prayer. Right. Now, contrary to what the, the Middle Eastern uh, customs are, in our country, uh, you, you call people to the house of God just simply to pray, just for nothing but prayer. We're just going to come together and we're going to have collective prayer. You know, you're going to lose a lot of people in that service. You know, and, and, and it, it's because the, the, uh, the, the preeminence is not placed on prayer. Prayer is something that I do, you know, and it's, it takes a few minutes and you know, I don't need to go to the house of God just simply to pray. Now, if we go to church, we need to sing songs. We need to have testimony. We need to, uh, you know, we need to preach. But just go to church just simply to pray? No, that's, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, in, in a lot, even in apostolics' lives today. And, and that's where we are failing and missing some of the power and the, the action of power in our personal lives that happened in the lives of those people in, that, in the first century church. You know, when persecution first hit the church and, and the apostles, you know, they, they, they were, I contend that they were disobedient to what the Lord said. The Lord said in Acts chapter 1, you shall be witnesses unto me in, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But after the day of Pentecost, that's not what they did. They, they wanted to center around Jerusalem. And, and God allowed persecution you know, to come against the church. Now the church was scattered. But the Bible would tell you, except the apostles. The apostles wanted to hang around in, in Jerusalem. You know, and the church was scattered. 
And Luke said they went everywhere preaching the Word. Now, now wait a minute. We're, they obviously were all preachers. No, they weren't. They were simply the church. They were simply the church. And they went everywhere, Luke said, preaching. So wherever they found themselves dispersed because of persecution, that's where they started preaching the Word of God. And, and God added to the church. And so prayer was one of, the, one of these things that Luke uh, identified as characteristic of that early church there that made that church so powerful. They, they prayed. They were a praying people. They, they knew how to pray. They, they were quick to pray. And, and, um, and, and, and until, until the church of this day gets back to being people of prayer. People of prayer. And listen, we, we live busy lives. I, I get it. I understand. But I'm going to tell you something too. Time that you spend in prayer is never wasted time. Never wasted time. And, and I see a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff. I have access to a lot of stuff. And it, make, and it makes me ashamed that there, there are people that don't know the Lord through the power of the Holy Ghost that find themselves praying Longer and more frequently than we do. Asking God to help them. Asking God to empower their lives. And, and, and spend time in the Word of, of the Lord. Uh, in reading and in studying His Word. Now, one thing I, I want to draw your attention to is, is Acts chapter 6. And if we can look at that just momentarily... I understand that the context here uh, is talking about the apostles, but the application. The application will apply to every redeemed man and woman. And so Luke says in, in chapter 6, beginning with verse number 1, Now, in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, I want you to notice Luke says the church was, was growing. When the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the, by the Hellenists. Now, the, the, the uh, King James says uh, probably Greeks or Greek speaking. All right, they, these, were, these were Hellenists. Uh, these Greeks were, were uh, they were Greeks. Uh, but they were Hellenist Greeks. And we've talked about the Hellenist uh, before and, and what they believed. And, uh, and, and it says there was a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God, and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full 
of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, the, 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 the apostles were not saying uh, that, uh, that, you know, to, to these other men, prayer is not of importance. But what they were saying is as far as we're concerned, it's not the will of God that we should leave the ministry of the Word and serve tables. In other words, they, they were saying there, there's some things that, that we cannot involve ourselves doing if we're going to do what God intended for us to do. Because what God has called us to do is going to require vast amounts of prayer and ministry of the Word. Now, now here's, here's the thing too. We, we look at this and say, well, now that was, that was the apostles. Now, obviously, they, they found those seven men. Because verse number 5 says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, there's that word again, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now the next paragraph in, in your Bible makes this statement. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now here, here is something that, that contradicts the doctrine of cessationists. You know, who says the Holy Ghost is not for us today. And the miracles and signs and wonders, they did happen. But they happened in that early church and they only happened through the hands of the apostles. But you've got, you've got one problem. Stephen was not an apostle. But the Bible said he was full of faith. And he was full of the Holy Ghost. And he did many signs and wonders, Luke says, among the people. He did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, the only way that Stephen could do great signs and wonders among the people was that he be a man that was full of faith, he was full of the Holy Ghost, and quite obviously he had to be a man that spent vast amounts of time in prayer even though he was not an apostle. Stephen wasn't even a preacher. But he came the, became the first martyr of the church because of the power that, that was operating through him. And that power does, does not come 
you know, without there being time, quality time spent before God in prayer. Amen? Amen. The church has got to be a praying church. Now here's the thing too, if you're not praying, I, I was talking to a pastor this afternoon, and I said if, you're, if, if people are not praying, and I mean spending quality time in prayer, if they are not praying and they don't have a steady diet of the Word of God, they're not going to survive this, this hour that we're in right now. I see, he, and he made the statement. He said, man, I, I believe just about every demon in hell has been unleashed against, the, against this nation and against the body of Christ. And I said, I agree. I concede that. I agree with that. I said, but the thing about it is, we will not survive the onslaught if we're not in that word and we are not spending quality time in prayer before God so that the operation of the power of the Holy Ghost is operating in us. Because let me tell you, if you, if you are not praying, you're not going to have the power to stand against the onslaught of the body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something right now. These devils mean business. They mean business. They're, they're not playing. They, they understand these are the last days. And it is their job to unleash anything at their disposal against the earth, against the world, against the body of Christ. And if, if we are not people of prayer, consistent prayer and quality prayer, you will not survive. Because it's going to come down to a choice. Because here, here, here's, what, here's what those devils through people are saying. We, we, you've all heard about Budweiser, Bud Light. You know, just their sales crashing. You know, because they teamed up with that that girly man. You know, man, girl, you know, whatever he claims to be. And people started boycotting. Target came out with their pride month. Putting out all their pride clothing. And, and people, people got in an uproar, started boycotting. And well, they're... Their sales has dropped by the billions. I think the last time I saw like $16 billion in, in revenue that they have lost in just the last, in just the last couple of weeks. And, and so they were going to take their pride stuff and instead of making it a prominent display, put it in the back of the store. In, in some of those rural areas down in the south, you know, you know those people who are who 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 are still racist, and those uneducated people, you know that uh, that think that this is not the norm, you know, for now and you know nowadays. So we're going to take it. We're not going to take it out of the store, but we'll relegate it to a back corner of the store so it'll shut those shut those people up down south. You know, that are creating all this problem and all this stir. Well, just just yesterday, there were there were over two hundred. I had no idea that there was this many 
gay, homosexual, lesbian, transvestite, whatever you, whatever, and all of this plus 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 stuff that they that they have got going on now that has issued a statement to uh, to to target. You've got 24 hours to put that stuff back in prominent display in the store. It doesn't matter who says what. You've got 24 hours to comply. Because here's what they said. You're either standing with us or you're standing against us. Because there is no such thing as neutrality in, in this cause. Now, that's what demons are saying through these people. There is no neutrality here. You, you cannot be ambivalent and say, well, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't agree with the lifestyle, but you know, some people's going to do it anyway. And you know, God bless them, which is just the sign of the times. Oh no, no. What they are saying is there is absolutely no neutrality here. You either stand with us or you are standing against us. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. When and if, and I do believe it's a distinct possibility, that it comes down to you're either going to stake a, take a stand for God and for the words of, and, and the truths of the Word of God, or you are going to capitulate because you don't have the power, the spiritual power, to cause you to stand in front of of a world that says, hey, you have got to make a choice. You're either with us or you are against us. I'm here to tell you this evening, I'm afraid that there's a lot of people in the church today that, that will capitulate simply because they are not do not have the power of that first century church operating in their lives. No neutrality, they said. You can't take a neutral stance here. We don't accept neutral stances. You're either going to agree with us or you're going to be against us. And if you're against us, you're going to pay the penalty for being against us. See, that's the essence of what's being said. It, it's no wonder. See, those, those apostles face things that we, we, don't, we haven't faced yet. Those disciples that Luke is talking about, they face things that we haven't faced yet. But Luke did, did, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, try to help us to understand that there were certain things that these people incorporated into their lives after the day of Pentecost that made them the people of power that they were. And so it, it's no wonder that they could withstand demon-possessed people and have power and authority over them. It, it's no wonder that Paul could, you know, could, could throw a log on the fire and, and a viper latch itself to his hand and Paul just shake it off in, in the fire and, and all of those sitting around, you know, thinking, uh, uh huh, he's some kind of murderer. He's some kind of child molester. He's a rapist. He's something. He's got to be some kind of criminal because the gods have been disturbed and it's not going to be long here. He's going to fall off of that stump that he's sitting on dead. And when that didn't happen, 
then they thought, oh, he's not a criminal. He's, he's some kind of God now. The only way that that could happen is through the power of the Holy Ghost that's operating in, in the life of Paul. But Paul was a man of prayer. He was a man of intense prayer. And so over and over we find this concept over and over again through the words of the New Testament. You know, about being people of prayer and, and people of the Word. Amen? 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 It's coming. It's coming. It is coming. You know... I, I was uh, again. I was, I was talking to a pastor, you know, the, this afternoon, and and uh, we we're talking about a certain situation that is in a a church, and uh, you know, he he said four years ago, he said I, I had a vision. He said I had been out to 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 Texas to see uh, one of my old Bible college professors and. And uh, he said, I was coming back. I was between Dallas and Waco. And he said it was winter. He said it was real cold, real cold. I was driving real slow because it was raining and sleeting. There was more sleet than anything. It was about 35 degrees and the wind was blowing. And, and he said, then all of a sudden, he said, in driving, he said, I see myself. And I'm, I'm laying on the ground. And he said, there's blood coming out of my mouth. And he said, and I, I looked down and he said, I've got, this, I've got this great big wound, you know, that, that's pouring blood in, in my side. And, and he said, in, in that vision, he said, there, there was a man that, that I saw. And he was standing over me and he had this great big bowie knife, you know, in, in his hand. And and he was, he, I, I knew he, he, had, he had stabbed me and mortally wounded me. And I was laying on the ground and him standing over me. Well, in the course of conversations in the past several months, I, I told him about a dream that I had real early one morning. And, and in my dream, my wife and I was laying in the bed. And, and all of a sudden, this man, same man came into our bedroom and he had a knife in his hand and I woke up and I jumped up out of the bed and I asked him what he was doing, you know, in there. And I said, he tried to stab me with his knife. And I said, I, I was able to, in my dream, I was able to, to grab a hold of his hand and, and you know, and I said, I, I hit him a couple of times and and I, and I threw him down. And when I threw him down, I fell on top of him. And, and, and I pinned his arm and the knife to the floor. And I, and I said, I kept calling his name. And I said, I, I said, why are you doing this? And I said, he wouldn't even say anything to me. I said, why, why are you trying to hurt us? Why are you doing this? And I said, he wouldn't even look at me. He would turn his head so he wouldn't look at me. And I said, and then, then I woke up. It was two weeks later, another pastor at a, at, at, a, at a district function came up to him and said, I need to tell you something, I had a dream. And he said, I, in my dream, I was in your church. And he said, and, and you were preaching and, and, and things began to happen that was, 
He said it was a, a demonic demonstration begin to happen and you didn't do anything with it. And he said, I just stepped up and said, can I, can I have the mic? And, and he said, you gave me the mic and I started addressing this man. And he said, I started praying, I started addressing this man, and all of a sudden the man just fell over dead in church. And here's what he told me. He said, what bothers me is that there's, I have a vision of that, and two of you that, don't, that has not discussed this matter, God has given you dreams and both of you had authority over him, but I did not. And he said, that has bothered me. Because y'all had authority. Y'all subdued him. Y'all had authority over him, but, but he, was, he was in the process of, of killing me. And I said, it's not that you don't have authority, because you do have authority. It could be that God was just trying to help you to understand what the man is about and, and the true spirit of the man and what he's going to attempt from a spiritual standpoint at, at some point in the future, which is unraveling right now. And I said, it's not that you don't have authority because you do have authority over every devil in hell. Amen. But can I tell you, there are some levels of spiritual authority that you can overcome, that you can deal with, but there are some things that you cannot do without praying and fasting. Even Jesus said that, and I do believe in, in the hierarchy of, of, of a, of a de demonic regime. I don't believe that hell is in chaos. Like I've heard preachers preach and, you know, and, and try to try to analyze, you know, you know, he, the, the Satan is the author of confusion, the Bible said. So that means that, that his, his dominion is, is, is in disarray and it's in confusion. I don't believe that. There's nothing in scripture that indicates that, that his authority, that he has been given or his dominion is in disarray and in confusion. Paul, when he wrote to, to the church, he talks, he talks about, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are different degrees of organized dominion. And there are that low level oh, that you can handle because you've got the Holy Ghost. But according to the words of Jesus, when, when the disciples could not, the Bible said that there was a man that brought his son to them to be delivered from demonic power by to his disciples. And the man said they could not help him. Jesus just spoke and said, come out. And he came out. The Bible said when they were away privately, then the disciples asked him, why could we not cast him out? Jesus told them, all power has been given. Give you power over all the power. He said, how be it? There are, there are some that, that is not going to come out except through prayer and prayer fasting 
So what Jesus is saying, there's things of a spiritual nature that you're not going to be able to do except you be people of prayer and people of fasting. That was one of the elements of this first century church that it was one of the reasons that they saw the souls coming in. It was one of the reasons that they saw the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that was, that was produced not just by the apostles, but, but of men like Stephen as well. It, it, it is through prayer that, that they were able to see things in the spirit realm. It was through prayer and, and things incorporated in their lives that in Acts chapter 5 that Peter, without having any information whatsoever, because in Acts later in Acts 2, you, you'll find that, that the church, they begin to sell possessions. You know, and, and, and the Bible said they had all things common. Somebody said, that's an early form of communism. Now, that ain't communism, no such. It's just simply that after the day of Pentecost, the body of Christ had a totally different perspective. Instead of th- focusing on the things of the temporal, they focused on the things of the eternal. So if there was a need that arose in the church, then somebody said, well, I tell you what. I don't have the money, you know, to, 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 to help in this. But I do have this possession and I'll sell it. And whatever I get from it, I'll give it to the church. I'll help the need. I'll help this brother. I'll help this sister. That's why Barnabas, the Bible said, sold a piece of property. And gave the proceeds to the church. And Ananias and Sapphira is looking at that. In Acts chapter 5, they sold piece of property and they agreed to come in the house of God and lie about it yeah we've sold it for so much Peter without having any information whatsoever about that matter said why have you why have you lied to the Holy Ghost he fell dead and as was the custom of that day they they wrapped him up and took him and buried him immediately several hours later Luke said his wife came in she didn't have a clue. Her, her husband was already in the ground. She came in. And Peter said, have y'all sold this land for so much? She said, oh yeah, we did. He said, why is it in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? The, the same men that carried your husband out is going to be the same, same ones that carried, carried, that's going to carry you out. And the Bible said she died. She gave up the ghost. The, the, the original wording is means she breathed no more. So when Paul asked why you agreed to lie to the Holy Ghost and told her that, that was her last breath right there. Peter didn't, Peter, when, when Ananias walked in there, Peter had no idea what was going on. But through that process, the Holy Ghost began to reveal something to him. I'm going to tell you something. In, in, in these last days, and we, we can talk about the ministry of the church. And we can talk about the evangelism of the church. And we can talk about the ministry of the church all we want to. But until the church is out there ministering, we're not accomplishing the will of God. Because I'm going to make a statement here that a lot of people are not going to understand. not, Not just here, but all across this nation. 
the congregation of the saints was not geared for outsiders. See, we talk about inviting people to church, having them come to church. It's almost like they can't get the Holy Ghost if they're not in our church. You got to get them in here so God can give them the Holy Ghost. Oh, God give them the Holy Ghost on the street corner. God give them the Holy Ghost in the parking lot. God give them the Holy Ghost sitting on their couch. God can give them the Holy Ghost sitting across their table, giving them a Bible study. Amen. Amen. That's that's where the first century church. That's what happened to them. They they didn't they didn't come to you know to to the house of God. They didn't come to the synagogue. They didn't come to the house church and bring guests to get the Holy Ghost. No, they prayed them through out there, baptized them out there, brought them to the local assembly. Then on the next time they assembled to introduce them to the rest of the body. So we've got this idea that if, you know, if our church is not just right, you know, people are not going to come. It, it, it wasn't made for sinners to begin with. We come to worship God collectively. Now sinners show up, they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost through the preaching of the Word of God. You know, but I, I've heard people say as, as of late, when, 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 you, when you get a message, when, you, when God gives you something to preach to your church, if you, see, if you see unsaved people walk in, do you alter your message? Do you change your message to try to appeal to those unsaved? And there were so many people said, I do not. I used to, but I stopped doing that, amen, because the body has got to be fed, and that's the role of the pastor, is to feed the body. So even our concept of church is not a New Testament concept. Because they received the Holy Ghost wherever they went. The Ethiopian eunuch, I contend, received the Holy Ghost when he came up out of the water in the middle of a desert. While he's headed from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And he's reading in the book of Isaiah and Philip runs a chariot down and jumps up in the chariot and asks him, you know, do you understand what what you're reading? And Philip preached to him the gospel. Because he said, look, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, nothing. If you believe with all your heart. said, I believe. They went down in the water. And Luke said, they came up out of the water. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Philip was called away to Azosus by, by the Spirit of God. See, all, all of this stuff happened because after the day of Pentecost, they weren't just content just, just to say, well, I spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost. Or I received the Holy Ghost after Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. They, they weren't content with that. They knew that they understood they had to implement certain things in their life on a consistent and a daily basis 
for the power of God to operate through them. Amen? And hadn't anything changed. If that happens to us, we're going to have to do the same thing they did. I've never been in a service like this. I've, I've heard of them. I've, I've heard of them testified about where, where needs arose and, and, and God began to get a hold of people in, in a congregation and people began to pull off gold watches, put them in the offering plate to be sold. And, and I heard, you know, uh, one man wrote a note and he said, I don't, I don't have the money right now, but I've got such and such hunting rifle with such and such scope on it and it's, it's this brand and all of this. I'll sell it and I'll get a lot of money for that firearm. I'll sell that and I'll give the proceeds to help that need. See, that's, that's what was happening in that first century church. They sold possessions. They didn't have the money right then. They sold possessions because they understood we're, what we're a part of is an eternal thing. It's not a temporal thing. Their whole concept of life had a radical change and they understood that, that hey, this is what we've got to do if we accomplish what God has tasked us to accomplish. And it's not going to change. We're living in the same dispensation of time that they lived. I told I told the pastor today, he said, I've he said, I'm gonna tell you, he said, the things I'm facing. He said, I've I've ramped up my I've, I've fasted more days this year than, than I've fasted in years. I've I've prayed more this year so far than, than I have I have prayed and and he said it's 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 gonna it's gonna take it. It's gonna take it. It's gonna take it. I picked up a book. It's not by an apostolic author. Kind kind of makes me ashamed. Not not that it's not an apostolic author, but what he's saying makes me ashamed. The title of the book is is New Power from Old Methods. And and it's a book on prayer. He's talking, he's focusing on prayer. The author is. And he said the church of this of this time of this day is so weak and so anemic. He said, and that's why you see churches capitulating to the demands of, of the culture. That's why you see churches that, you know, can't can't determine, can't decide if a man's a man, a woman's a woman. You know, you see you see or church organizations falling by the wayside, you know, bowing, you know, to the sexual deviants. You know, putting their rainbow flags on their churches and all of this kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know what, we, 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 we get it. We get it. You know, this is, and, and what, they're, what they're being asked and what the culture is asking, or not they're asking, they are demanding that we agree. I may never, their mindset is, you may never be a homosexual and that's fine. I can handle you never being a homosexual, but what you're going to do is you're going to have to admit that what I'm doing is a normal part of life. That's what they're demanding. I don't care if you're I don't care if you're bisexual. 
I don't care if you're trans or, you know, I don't care if you're, if you're not a pedophile. I don't care if you're not, you know, all of these other deviant behaviors. I don't, I don't, I could care less. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. But here's what we're going to demand. You're going to accept us as normal. That is what's coming. That's already here. That's why they they told Target, you're going to have to make up your mind. You're either with us or you're against us because there is no neutrality here. And the author says, the Christian church in this nation is so weak and ineffective that they are capitulating by the droves. And he said what the church is, what the church needs is a new power. But that new power is going to come from old methods. Because he said, every child of God to be able to stand in the day that we're living right now is going to have to spend vast amounts of time in prayer. See, when trouble, when trouble hit the church, persecution hit the church, they didn't go griping about the government and complaining about the Caesars and, you know, and well, I'm going to tell you what, if they weren't doing this, then we wouldn't be having this trouble in, in the country. What did they do? They went to prayer. When Peter was, when Peter was locked up in prison, that the church... The church didn't start griping and complaining about the Caesar or the governor, and you know. And well, I, I guess I blessed God. I know that. See, James had already been executed. They thought Peter was going to be next, and that was the intent. That after Easter, he was going to lose his head. And, and, and the church didn't, didn't gather around and say, well, I'll tell you what, I just don't understand this now. I don't, I don't understand their thinking. I don't understand what they're doing. It just ain't right. And something's got to be done. And we got to vote them out of there. That ain't what Luke said. Luke said they went to the house where they had service. And they locked the doors And they began to pray. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. It wasn't a little three or four minute prayer. And then them get up and sit down and start fussing about the government again. Or three or four minute prayer. And then them get up and start talking about, you know, the weather and how hot it's going to be and all. They prayed. They prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed until Peter's knocking on the door. And Rhoda goes to the door. She said, it's Peter at the door. Of course, we know. I've heard all kinds of sermons about open the door to your miracle and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, 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 you know, have the faith for your miracle and open the door for your miracle because the church almost missed the miracle of Peter. No, the church didn't almost miss the miracle of Peter being miraculously released from prison. The point that Luke is making, 
Not the fact that you've got to open the door to your miracle. Sounds good and it preaches good. But they prayed. That's the point that Luke's trying to get across to, to the readers. Is that when he was put in prison, the church went to prayer. And was because of the prayer of the church that Peter was miraculously delivered. We read about it. And we say, my Lord, look what, look what God did. Look what He did. I'm going to tell you something right now. God wants to do the same thing today. Amen. I, I'm not going to tell you the organization, but I watched some count meeting videos this week. You know, my wife watched one with me. Preacher. They, they, they claim to be Pentecostal. But he was really, the preacher on this night was really, he took his text, Acts chapter 2. And really he gave a history of Pentecost in, in the latest, in, in the uh, 20th century. He started in 1900 Azusa Street. You know, and he said this thing came down and he was old hillbilly from Kentucky. You know, and he said this thing came down, it hit the Appalachian Mountains. He showed pictures. Pictures of old people, some of his old kin folks. And I, I looked at those pictures and I told my wife, I said, those people are not, and I named the organization. I said, those people are apostolic people right there. They got the Holy Ghost before there was an organization. But then there was there was one picture he showed a man and his wife that, you know, he said. Uh, he said his, his, his wife, you know, got sick and went, went to the doctor, went to the hospital, and, and she died. And, and so they, they had covered her up. She was dead for 21 minutes. And, and the morgue has, was coming to get her. And, and he just, he simply walked out of the room and he said, Now, Lord, he said, I don't know, I don't know what's happening. He said, But I sure didn't think that I was going to lose Lucy. He said, now Lord, I sure didn't think I was going to lose her like this and, and this soon. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't pray for 40 minutes. He didn't have to conjure up something. He just simply said, now Lord, I just didn't, I just didn't think it was going to happen this way. I didn't think I was going to lose old Lucy like this. He said she was dead for 21 minutes. They came in there to roll her out, take her to the morgue. She reached up and grabbed a sheet and pulled it off of her head and said, I'm not ready to go yet. How does that happen? Because back in those early days, there were people who spent copious amounts of time in prayer, talking to God and living the Word of God. That doesn't happen by accident. And he and they showed another picture. He said, Now that's old that, that's old great 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 grandma so and so and beside her's great aunt so and so and and there's you know her husband so and so and they got the both of them got the Holy Ghost in in nineteen, you know, oh six and you know, and, and he was just an old coal miner in, in the Appalachians. And, and, and there, there were three people that died that he prayed for them. They came back to life. 
And he said, all of this is documented. This is not, all this is documented. I, I sat there and I thought, my God, you know, how, you know how that happens? Prayer. Time spent in prayer. Now, I understand we're living in a different day than those old time Pentecostals. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The devils that we fight are not different. They're the same. They're the same devils. And they're going to be dealt with the same way. It's going to be through prayer. We have got to be people of prayer. Amen. I like what Brother Thomas said several months back. His wife was gone on a trip. He said, I've decided while she's gone, I'm going to spend more time. Where, where I prayed 10 minutes, I can pray 10 more minutes. If I read my Bible 10 minutes, I can, write, I can read it 10 more minutes. And that's, that, I, I, I like that idea. If I pray 15 minutes, I can pray 15 more minutes. If I pray 30 minutes, I can pray 45 minutes. You say, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't have that much to say to God. You get to praying and get the Holy Ghost moving. You ain't going to have to figure out what to say to God. Because the Holy Ghost is going to help your infirmities. And, and, and that's the way it happens. So this little three, four minute prayer. Well, I, I checked that box. I did that for service. I did that this morning. That's not going to cut it. Not in the day that we're living. Not in the day that we're living. Because, because the world is saying, you're going to make a stand one way or the other. Ain't going to be any of this in the middle, non-committed. You're either with us or you're against us. Yes, it is. He said, you can't serve two masters. He said, you're going to love the one and you're going to hate the other. Jesus said, you're going to make a decision. The three Hebrew boys standing in front of the furnace, they, they were forced to make a decision. You're either going to bow and you're going to worship the image or the alternatives, you're going to be cast in the fire furnace. No neutrality. No neutrality. No saying, well, you do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. No, you're going to make a decision, my friend. No neutrality. You're either going to bow or you're going to burn. And that's what the spirit of the age is saying. You're going to make a choice. You're either going to stand with us or you're standing against us. One or the other. And told Target, you got 24 hours to decide what they'll do. If they don't meet that 24, I don't know. But they said, you got 24 hours to make up your mind whether you're for us or you're against us. One or the other. That is the spirit of this age. That's what we're contending with. And the mediocrity is not going to survive. Jesus in, in his revelation to John, he told that church at Laodicea, he said, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm. Now, listen, we've always heard, heard it preached. Oh, the Lord's coming after a hot church, not a cold church. It's a hot church. On fire for God. And we use that. Lord said, if you're not hot and you're not cold, I'll spew you out of your mouth. Well, 
what we, what we don't take into consideration is the fact that Laodicea was, was known for hot springs, for health, and it was also known for its cold waters for health purposes. And they bragged. It was a very affluent area and very affluent church. And they built aqueducts to pipe in that hot water, you know, for health purposes. But by the time it got to Laodicea, the water wasn't hot. It was lukewarm. And what Jesus is saying to the Laodiceans it is not the fact that you're hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And I'm going to spew you out of my mouth now. What Jesus is telling the church of Laodicea is from the standpoint of the benefits of hot water and the benefits of cold water, you have lost your usefulness. Lukewarm water does nothing for health purposes like y'all have been bragging about. You bragged about the hot water for health and the extremely cold water for health. But by the time it gets to Laodicea, the water has become lukewarm. And what the Lord is saying is, you have lost your usefulness. I don't want that to be said of me. In the age you're living, you've lost your usefulness. You're not hot, but you're not cold either. But yet from a health standpoint, you've lost it. You've lost your purpose. You've lost your usefulness. Amen. And, and it's going to require prayer to not do that. Be that way. Amen. We've got to pray.